Welcome back to Success and More Interesting Stuff. If David Paradise were a stock, he would be placed in the momentum category. His rate of success over the last 40 years has gathered speed. The boy from Scone in New South Wales wanted to be a vet, but fell short and ended up studying commerce as a second prize. He got off to a rocky start by selling sandwiches in London. He tried being a stockbroker and an analyst, but never really felt he was good at either. In the space of 20 years, Paradise Investment Management has gone from a small company specialist in Australia to a global investment business with 16.5 billion under management. In the meantime, Para, as he is universally known, has been inducted into the Fund Manager's Hall of Fame and has become an icon of the Australian investment landscape. I first met David in the mid-1990s when I was a journalist. I then spent two years sitting next to him in Macquarie Street while he kicked off Paradise Investment Management. Along with Jeff Wilson, he taught me a lot about small company investment. Hi, David. Great to see you. Matthew. Obviously, I should have watched you a bit more carefully because you're sitting on top of an empire and I'm still trying to find small caps to invest in and eke out a living. Well, uh, I've been good at delegating, I think, or passing responsibility on for picking small caps and doing stuff like that. And I think, uh, yeah, like, like with every business, it's about making sure you have the right people and delegating responsibilities to those people. You can't, can't do everything yourself. No, you can't. I've found that out. Look, I had a quick search on Google and I found the word paradise in 156 songs and 96 movie titles. <laughs> Could you have been born with a better surname to launch your career? Is it possible? Good point. <laughs> you must have been sitting up at Scone or at boarding school thinking, I'm sitting on a gold mine here. If I can no. just put this name to a company on a car or a veterinary practice, I'm going to make it. Well, no. Back, actually, back in the old – well, no. I suppose the only benefit is when you call up person looking for a meeting with someone and they say, oh, Paradise, that's a nice name. That's it. But they do remember me when I go into – Well, on those financial planners approved product lists, Paradise would stand out, wouldn't it? Hmm. But, yeah, it's weird. I haven't actually ever thought about it because it's my name, but I'm not sure whether you'd – well, maybe you might want to have a, an investment, an investor that would lead you to paradise, but I'm not sure whether you ever have <laughs> <laughs> you have an, a, now, an investor that's like that. It is important, though, to work out why you did call it paradise. Well, you could have easily have called it something a bit more generic, like a regal. Okay, so that's uh, very – Perennial, in, that, a that, Yeah, so – A Magellan. You uh, could have gone with any of those. So They're all was, available. I was having a coffee with Jeff Wilson, and I said to Jeff, I'm uh, setting up, and we chat, and I said, I need to lodge the forms by tomorrow, <laughs> but I don't know what to call it. And he said, well, just call it after yourself, and then – and then, and then I said, oh, okay, well, I suppose I could change it. And, and he said, well, I'm Wilson Asset Management. Well, I'll go Paradise Investment Management. And as it turns out, it's the, actually the long, one of the longest words, longest uh, names. So when you go and you're looking up a list on the, on the bottom of the, trying to find out where Paradise Investment Management, it's always the one that actually stands out. And so it actually works out that it's quite good because it's, it's, long. The long, it's the longest one on the list of names that are up there. But Jeff said to me, and so I w Jeff said, just call up yourself. But you know what Jeff called his Wilson Asset Management? Have you heard that story? He said, it's all about ego. <laughs> I just wanted to name it after myself. <laughs> uh, because he said, I said to him, I'd I, I said, I'll do that. I didn't want to do it. I thought, 
And I thought, I'll, cha I'll change the name. Once it's up and running, I've decided what to call it because I had to get it lodged within two days. And, of course, I never got around to it. Out of necessity. But it's interesting. The world knows it as paradise, not PIM. It's not an acronym. No, I know. So paradise has been good for you. The name for the business. As opposed to WHAM. Yeah. Well, Jeff's, you can't call it Wilson. No. But paradise sticks, so... That's weird. I had never thought about that. And, and it used to, when I used to hear people referring to Paradise in, as the third party when I'm sitting there, it used to roll my, have my toes curl a bit, but I was uncomfortable. And I still am uncomfortable. With it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Paradise Cooper in the early days. Yeah, it was. So Peter Cooper, good old mate of yours, yeah. set up. Peter, more of the big cap yep. and down in, in Melbourne. You, the small cap in Sydney. Yep. You got top billing. It was Paradise. Am I right? Paradise. Well, I, was, I set it up first. And then he joined me two years later. Right. And then... And you didn't like Cooper, the name, or something went wrong or you just went your own ways? Just went... He was, he was doing a lot of what I was doing anyway and he was in Melbourne and it just was not working that well. Yeah, he, he was doing a lot of... We were both doing... Too much overlap. Too much overlap. Because he set up a phenomenal business as well, right? Yeah, no, he's done really well. No, yeah. he's, he's a good investor. Yeah, he's a terrific guy. But it's interesting, glamorous name, not such a glamorous person. Who, me? Yeah. Yeah, true. A remarkable business, but you've always, and but this is your own fault, you've always tried to stay a bit unremarkable, that you don't stand out, that you're not you're not the great marketer or... No. You're not the Hamish Douglas. You've got very much your own style. No. And I, and like, yeah, and I probably think that's maybe a weakness. I, maybe I should have been out there a bit, but... A weakness? Yeah, about, well, I'm not, I, I think... All good businessmen, I remember Richard Pratt once saying to me, you know, that all the good businessmen are generally mar good marketers. And I didn't market, you know, I know, look, I do, you know, I do, I do, I'm getting a bit more into it, but, but we just rely on the performance of, of the funds, you know. So, yeah. And it's when you underperform is when you do need good marketing, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> I think. But, but last time we had a really good chat was in 2003 when you were in Masters of the Market. Okay. And... Well, you talked about this, that you weren't interested in marketing. In fact, you went the other way. Let me just read for a second the opening paragraphs. David Paradise hates rain more than most. Why? Because when it rains, water seeps into the holes in his worn shoes and his socks and feet get wet. Only when it pours does he buy new shoes. Paradise believes that all good fund managers should get their feet wet now and again. He reckons fund managers shouldn't be distracted by little things. Their real focus should be on how their stocks are performing. That's exactly right. And I still still wear odd socks. I still got shoes, holes in my shoes. <laughs> Do you, so you still stand by that because that, that that's your image. Like what I remember in those couple of years we were together that, you know, you put a lot of emphasis on on performing. I think you were th two or three years in, you'd done well. You're about 600 million, but it was all small caps. Mm -hmm. And you said, look, I'm, I'm not interested in marketing. I'm interested in producing good numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm interested in doing small caps. Yeah. But that's, that's obviously changed over time to a degree. You've been able to extend your, your process and your abilities into a much broader category. Yeah, I, I've, I had young guys coming up uh, running the small caps. Um, I, to, to, people work much better when they're, they're – everybody wants to become accountable. Everybody wants to be responsible. Mostly, you know, and, and people in our industry like to make decisions and may have an effect on a portfolio. And so I could not sit and still run 
run money and want succession planning coming through. So I had to remove myself from our small cap fund and I got the Adam Harvey and Rishi Kilmani who took over from me. Was that hard? No, it, no, it was easy actually because to do it properly, it's an intense, you just, it needs to be 24-7, right? And, yep. and I was, you know, trying to build a business. I had a mid-cap fund, a large-cap fund, you know, so I was focusing on those things as well. And I just couldn't stock pick. You need to be doing stock pick. It's 24-7, you know, seven days a week. And so um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an intensity thing. And it's a, I think with everything, I think, look at, you know, the guys who are successful in any business or any operation, it's about focus. Jerry's focused, Jerry Harvey's focused on, on his, um, on his, uh, on his business, you know. John Massara is focused on his horse stud, you know, and he does a great job there, you know. And people have, it's all about, you can't do anything, I don't think, to be really super competitive and do it well, half-hearted. Right. So going back to those days, your work ethic was quite extreme. I, I remember that it was always a conversation about a stock or whether it be at lunch, dinner. In fact, I remember going to Melbourne with you one day. We, we went to see eight companies. Um, we got on a six o'clock flight up at 4.30. We hired a car. We'd, by one o'clock, we'd driven it all around the outer suburbs of Melbourne and we'd seen four different companies in four suburbs. And then we had another four companies to see and I suggested, why don't we pull over and get some takeaway? I'm hungry. Haven't eaten since 4.30 this morning. And you turned around at me and said, well, why do you want to stop? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're, you're never going to make a good investor if you're going to stop and eat the whole time. And, I, <laughs> no, and luckily I, I had a couple other people <laughs> in the car who didn't. <laughs> and we did stop. Well, because I, I, know, I know with you with me, I think I was with Adam and Rishi one time. We were doing the same thing. And we came up to a corner and there was one of those little corner stalls and they were selling bread rolls and bananas, you know, and, and fruit and stuff. And so I said to them, look, just run. And we stopped at the lights. One got out. And we ran around the corner. He jumped back in the car again and we, he got three bread rolls and three bananas. We put her out a banana that sandwich. Was it. That was it. <laughs> because I finished off on that, that we, we, we got something. Then we saw the four companies and you said, right, are you coming to dinner or not? And we went and had dinner with Peter Cooper. All right. And the conversation didn't stop. I got home at 11 I thought, I must have talked about 70 companies today. I'm exhausted. <laughs> that was an average day. But I love it. That's, I, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a passion. I love finding out. I do love, I still have a passion for finding out how businesses operate. Right. You know, and I'm running um, Paradise Investments and, you know, I kind of look at the landscape, which which we're up against, you know, fees coming down, all that kind of stuff, and how I manage that through that. And, yeah, I love, I love, I just love being involved. I used to go to IGA and I'd, up at Scone, for example, and I'd talk to the guy. Supermarket. The supermarket, yeah, and I'd talk to, uh, talk to the guy who was, just happened to be there. I said, what do you do, mate? Oh, I run this. Oh, tell me about, you know, KPIs, inventory return, right? And the guy said, you know, he worked out I was interested and he loved chatting about it. And I remember he helped he me. He didn't mind the interrogation. No, he came up and was, I was still sitting in the car and he's still talking to me. Remember going, remember going to Byron Bay and sitting in the bike shop and, how many bikes you rent here? Oh, yeah, how much does that cost? You know, what's this one? You know, all this kind of stuff. I love, love talking about it. Well, uh, if, if I said what, what did I learn off you was exactly that, that every conversation, everyone knows something about something, where yeah. they work, what the industry they're yeah, in. Yeah. But you, the other thing you used to do, which is interesting, was that you, you had a, an unusual network. So not only did you keep close to brokers and companies, you used to keep close to a whole bunch of other fund managers who in mm, theory mm, were competitors. I mean, mm. I, was, I was one sitting next to you working with Jeff 
But we used to do things together because you thought, oh, well, we can collect as much information as we can. Yeah. I remember going to Perth one day to a Hartley Poynton conference and we went in the night before. I came down to breakfast. She said, come over and sit here. We'll have breakfast. And, and you said, this is Eric Mennonovsky. Matthew Kimmer works with Jeff. And then two minutes later, you got up and said, hey, Eric, I've got to go and see someone else. And you, I was left there with Eric. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I finished. But Eric then gave me his thesis on Metcash, yeah, which uh, was a turnaround. Came yeah. back to Sydney, yeah. went out and saw the company, maybe with one of your operatives, yeah. and we all bought it. And at 50, 60, 70, 80% return over the next eight years. Absolutely. Months. Yeah, no, I, I remember but that. Why, why do you do that? And how do you get away with it? Like competitors are competitors, but you always seem to be able to... I think it's a sharing thing. You know, there are some people you talk to who don't want, who you're talking to them, they don't want to share information. And if I didn't, if I, if it wasn't a two-way street, it just doesn't work. So I try to be an open book and I talk about, you know, what I'm doing and, well, that's what I used to do you know, when, I was running, when I was running money, you know. Yeah. I mean, now it's, it's not relevant. But, but, yeah, no, I think it's a – and I still – you know, you, you just, people love talking about stocks, you know. I bump into other investors and I say, oh, what's happening out there, you know, what are you doing? We're long gold, we're doing this, we're doing that. Yep. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, it's that. No, I agree. Like talking to other fund managers and, of course, you know, a lot of them are invested so they don't mind telling you about what they're, what they're being going into. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's always that, that, that um, unwritten rule that, you know, if you probably don't tell someone about something that you've, kind of about to invest in Um, but if you do then you know you say look I'm you know I'm doing stuff here so you know well you're also looking for some feedback occasionally yeah yeah, they might have done some work yeah no I totally agree you know and uh, so no I think that that kind of network works and you'd encourage anyone to have a network who's interested in investing yeah definitely oh definitely it's that's it's about information and even nowadays um, even nowadays it's getting a lot harder to 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 do that because of the quant, the, the quant folks and the, yep. you know, all those, like, get a computer that reads, like I was, I was reading about someone who was able to read, I think it was 160,000 breaking reports and documents in 1.3 seconds around the world. Now, and it wasn't you. And it wasn't me. <laughs> you know, it's really hard. So what I'm hoping for is that over time, AI just keeps on competing that away and that the person, the, 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 the people touch, the ability to be able to read are they going to make those numbers or aren't they going to make those numbers? You know, to be able to, to think through that through where a computer can't see that or, or work that out, hopefully in the end wins because yeah. I, I can't compete against BlackRock spending a trillion dollars on a computer. No. We'll come back to that because it's an interesting subject that we need to explore a bit more. The, the other thing I remember about you is that you were never sat still, mm-hmm. that um, you were a bit of an international man of mystery, probably more Austin Powers than James Bond. <laughs> But you used to, like, I remember sitting in a meeting one day seeing a company with you in the, on Macquarie Street. And um, you said, come down, see this company. So I came down. And then we, we downloaded after the meeting. And then you said, right, okay, right, I'm just going to see someone. So I wandered back upstairs to the office because it was down in the cafe. Then the next day, that was in the morning, the next day in the afternoon you rang and said, oh, I was just thinking about that company. And you started to talk and there was a noise in the background. There was a microphone. I said, where are you? And he goes, oh, I'm in America. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> and I said, but you just went to see someone. How could you get there? And he go, you went, no, no, I left you and went straight to the airport. <laughs> so you didn't right? have a bag or anything. But you've always been someone who's moved a lot. Yeah, no. And I, never stopped. Is it, no, is that, that's is that true. Is that something 
that that's true, and that's probably a, a weakness of some sort. But 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 you know, I I, I love having a chat about business. But you're going to see companies. companies. Yeah, about, I, I know. Yeah, your yeah. Fat, you know, your wife and whatnot came from America, but you were going to see companies. Yeah, and so I, and I go overseas, and I gather a lot of information. I go with our. I think by by not uh, travelling and not learning, you know, I always love learning. I love learning about businesses. I love learning about economies. I love learning about what drives businesses and what drives people as well. And and uh, you know, I love finding and chatting to interesting people. I had a young guy the other day who came in and saw me. He's trying to set up a micro cap, cap right. fund and. Uh, he would be late thirties. Anyway, he made me. I was talking to him, and he made me laugh because, you know, he was talking about how he had made an investment in a kind of a company for his old fund, and he said, you know, ah, oh, I lost money. You know, it was really bad. I lost money, but it was good. It was good because I learned a lot from it. And actually, I know that investment will be really good for that company. And it's moved up later on. You know, he's really excited. He was, he's, he's focused on fundamentals. He, he, he could see, you know, how, you know, we talked about the evolution of your thinking and how, for me, I'm glad that I moved on and let Adam Rishi come through and take over because at that point in time in 2007, Seek and all those kind of stocks were, were been belted and me with my old kind of glasses on of looking at companies <laughs> with a, with a, you know, return on asset values and all that kind of stuff. It mightn't have worked at that point in time, but you have to evolve in your thinking. And this yeah. guy was evolving on his thinking and he was quite, he, he was, he had a lot of expressions and, and I found it amusing, but he was late thirties. I said, so, you know, I got, I'm, I'm having him meet a couple of the other guys, but I, yeah, I, the reason I get around a bit is because I don't know. I just, I find, do go find going overseas. I learn a lot. And I'm, but but you I'm, turn, you turn up in the funniest places. So when Cadell Evans wins the, I know, I know. Well, it just happens to be, that we happen to be on a family reunion in France at that particular that particular 2013. But you like achievements too in sport. No, I do. Well, and I, people testing themselves. Yeah. So I, lo- I like that. I like people, yeah, that have a go against all odds, right? The people that, 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 that get out of their comfort zone and put everything on the line. You know, uh, you, you kind of look at someone like an Andrew Forrest who's done that, you know, yeah. and, and other people that have gone against all odds. Rolled and, the dice. And, and, and achieved it. You know, the people that sit sit up there in their ivory towers and don't get amongst it and aren't going at 100 miles an hour the whole time, you know, I'm not really interested in seeing those. I'm not really interested in meeting well, those. Well, going 100 miles. The other thing I remember going on trips with you was how quick you walked. <laughs> so you used to walk along on the phone and when you got off your call, you turn around and bark at us and they come on, you young guys. <laughs> You'd be I'm, I'm, cracking the whip the whole time. And we weren't walking slow. Yeah, no. no I, Is fast walking something you see in people? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely, intensity. Yeah. I think intensity is what is what. Uh, well, we were, talking, we were talking about Greg Perry before. Intense guy, wonderful fund manager. It's about focusing, and yeah, I think most people are good thinkers and are commercially minded. Uh, you don't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what it is. But like Cadell Evans once said to me, you don't have. You have uh, winning the Tour de France in two years' time, but that you don't look at that. You look at I'm going to do a hill sprints today. I'm going to do, and then you break it down, yeah. and you know. And I think that kind of intensity. It just you know, you, it, he he's an intense. He's he's behind everything. Obviously, he's a very intense kind of guy. But yeah, I 
But it, it, let's, let's go back to you being able to scale your business from those small cap days. And you said you handed it over, so you've given us a bit of an insight. But when I look at you, I would have thought the model to scale a business was tough because, as we said in that, you know, you've worn down shoes and you used to get the felt pen out to cover marks in your suits and there wasn't a lot of money or style. Yeah, it was your mm-hmm. own style. Mm-hmm. But you, you also used to keep your, your office in your top pocket. Yes. So whenever anyone gave you a good idea and you, your response was, I knew it was a good idea when you'd say, I think you're right. Mm. That was your, yeah, I'm interested in that. Mm. But you used to tear off a piece <laughs> of paper off the top of a, a notepad you have and write the name down and shove it in your top pocket. Yeah. yeah. And it was bulgy. Yeah. Things had fallen. I, I don't, I and, I still, and I still have a little note where I have all the things that I want to do. And when I'm talking to, like, talking to someone like you and I think of something, it's better to let people, like a lot of people interrupt, like I probably just did to you then. That's fine. But, but, but I, I used to write in the corner, my little corner, I'd write all the questions down to let the company, when I'm coming, let them flow with their thought process, you know, let them keep going, you know. Yeah. And then if they started getting off the track, you'd steer Bring them back, back again. But I'd always write the, the things in my corner. And like in the corner, I'd say, you know, my business, I still... I still have my business in a in a on a one sheet, which is the performance of each individual fund. <laughs> but you got yeah. thirty odd people now. Uh, you got about fifty five. Oh, sorry, I counted too. But yeah. so there, there's marketing people, there's investors. Looking at you, that that's not the textbook scalability business. That when it came out of you, I mean, it's paradise. You did, you you went with Peter early, but you didn't go with a group. You built a group. Yeah. And uh, so does it surprise you how well you've done? Yes, I, it has, but I think obviously, I hopefully, I mean, the culture comes from me, which is um, I always say to them, you know, do the right thing, not what you can get away with. There's a lot of people that do stuff think, oh, I can get away with that, you know. <laughs> um, and it's but about, you're talking about cutting corners, both being lazy as well, I gather. Yeah, cutting corners, and also. Um, you know, we employ people which have a, just a focus on who just love talking stocks. Right? Yeah. And and my wife comments about how she once come to a Christmas party and we're just talking about general chit chat, not about business. And yeah, everybody's just chatting away. And all of a sudden, someone brings up a stock, and the whole energy goes up. Energy goes up amongst all the guys, right? And they love it. They just, you know, I say to these guys, some of my blokes, guys. You need to get some people in to replace you. Yes, not replace you, but succession planning. But, but what am I going to do? What am, what, I love doing what I do. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do? And, and that's – and so You've been able to do it. Yeah, I have, and I have. And, and those guys love picking stocks, and that's fine, and they're slowly getting people underneath them. But, you know, I've always organised things such that we don't have any, like, internal meetings, you know, when, it, when between eight and, eight, uh, eight and four in the afternoon. You know, we try to. I try to do it such that everybody's just focused on the stock picking. No internal meetings, no fluffing around. You know, my job is to try and protect them. I mean, they're in touch with the clients, and that's the the most important things are for them to be the face with the client, not have me or have a marketing guy, and for them to go and pick stocks for those clients because without good performance and without good clients and. You don't have a business, so it's it is it's a it's a and that kind of culture weeds people out. I've had a few people that love, um, you know, the meetings, or you know, they might go and play basketball at lunchtime, or 
go to the gym. We, we all go to the gym, at, not all of us together, but we, we go at 5.30, you know, 5.30. I'm in there at 6.30, quarter to 7, 7 o'clock in the morning. Everybody, all the other stock pickers are there at that time of the day. And they do their gym beforehand, yeah. work all day. Not lunchtime. Yeah. You know, it's like the old BT where they yeah. run up the hill. Yeah, you know, it's about focus, and and um, you know, it's because they love 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 doing. It. I mean, sometimes like I might go to the gym if, if I get a space that in the afternoon, right, between three and four or whatever it is. But you know, you always make stocks. Make yourself available. Okay, so that's the that's the bedrock, the platform you built your business on. But there's a couple of other things. What about the role of luck? So. I, I was lucky enough to sit there when, when you started and the markets was, it was the end of the tech boom and the markets for tech stocks rolled over and you were more of a value-based fundamental investor. And that was the moment. The moment came along. Yep. And the next two or three years was terrific for those people. It, it, does luck play a role? What if you started three years earlier? That, uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. And, it's, and you're good enough to take advantage of it. No. I'm not downplaying it. But do you think luck... No. Or do you just put yourself in a position to get luck? It's funny, you know, because you, you always hear those sayings about BJ, uh, the, uh, the, the golfer saying, you know, the, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Yeah. But, um, and I think it's the same. The more we work, the luckier we get. And um, maybe that cycle, you're absolutely right. If I'd started three years before, I probably wouldn't have been able to have done what I've done. Um, but then maybe three years before, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe the market's not right. It's, it's, it's too, you know, I couldn't raise money or it's too throffy or, or whatever it is, you know. Yep. So maybe, uh, uh, I'm not sure, but I think people make, I do think people make, make their own luck. And yeah. uh, I think the focus effects helps luck if you're focused on Knowing what the market wants, knowing what clients want, then, and knowing when is the right time to do something, then judgment. Judgment. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, what about your charm? So you get a little bit of luck. So there's the paradise charm. We've talked about the personality and the look and whatnot. Then you always, people warm to you. You're not, you've got a kind of an open personality, whether it be other fun managers. I mean, you, you one, one of your passions is polo. Yeah, you. Um, I think if I'm correct, you won the Queen's Cup yeah. last year, first Aussie to do it. Yeah. And what stunned me the most was I saw a little video of David Paradise receiving the Queen's Cup from the Queen, and you had a bit of a chat to her. Yes. And you had a giggling like a little schoolgirl. Yes. Now, I, I'd be interested to hear how that charm worked because – Anytime I've talked to you and I haven't seen you for a while, you say, what stock do you like? So did you give the Queen a stock pick no, and she had a bit of a laugh so at let, it? Let's just chat about that. So we won uh, against all odds. It's like the uh, Jamaican bobsled team. And we, 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 I played in the final of that game, I played against um, a, uh, a Russian oligarch, a guy called Andre Borodin, who I gather is the, one of the, was one of the most wanted people in Russia, had his own taster to taste his water for him and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, and he went with another 40% more horses. He went with 60 horses. We went with 35 or something like that. And, and he, and he went all the flash gear, all the money, right? We, we were the low budget team. And he used to talk to his, so you, so what happens is you have a really bad player like myself or like him. And then you play with all the best players yeah. in the world. And, um, 
we just put our team together and it was kind of, you know, half cooked. You know, there wasn't a lot of money around involved. And, and um, he had all the money around. But he was yelling at all his players. And, he, and I could feel it. We were at halftime, we were three all. And he had a few of his big guys who'd gone for penalties in front of the goals and had missed them. Right. And he yelled at them, right? And you could feel, you could feel the soul out of the, the team going, you know, because there's so much pressure on them to win. I didn't push any pressure on my guys. In fact, I, I just ride around and don't say a single thing because <laughs> I'm playing with the, I mean, how am I supposed to know the more and, and the more than what they do? So I, I give them the responsibility. There's a subtle pressure that we want them to do well. And it's the same with business. You, yep. you employ people because you trust them to do the right thing. Yep. And you delegate to them responsibilities. And, you know, you respect their ability. You know, you don't try and second-guess them. You don't try and say, you need to work here between 8 o'clock and 5 o'clock or whatever it is. You know, I don't care where people work because they take responsibility in the job they have and they take responsibility for our business, for example, about delivering returns. And they'll get there themselves. You can't have someone standing over the top of you. Mm. And so, you know, I, 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 look, I reflect back on, on that particular win and other things that have happened and it's because I'm not out there throwing my weight around and you know I, I let people take responsibility for their actions and make sure you've got good people around you and so I said to the Queen that particular day she said has an Australian won this before and I said oh, I'm not sure she said she said there's a cup going back to Australia and I said I, I don't I don't think so and, well, how do you know you can? I don't know, but I'm going to try. <laughs> and that's when she's laughing. She was laughing and the camera's click, 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 click. So it was like the ashes. It stays in here <laughs> yeah. no matter who wins it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I did take it. I did oh, take, you did? I did bring it back to Australia. Put it under your shirt and took I, off? No, I put it in a bag and I went through security and there was a magazine where I was on the front page with the Queen and I knew I'd have problems. Anyway, so the, this great big trophy goes through the, the machine and they're looking at it. And the guy pulls me aside, like, what the heck? What are you doing here? And I pull out the photo of me with the Queen and the, and the thing, and he says, straight forward, straight forward, straight to the front of the line. <laughs> You've probably pulled that out a few other times. <laughs> I've used it a lot, that one. <laughs> Very good. So that was part of the charm. That, let's go forward to today. You, you sit there, you've got businesses, you've got a global funds or global funds. You've got the guys over in the US. You spend a lot of time in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got... Big cap, mid cap, small cap here in Australia, as said, icon, everyone knows the paradise name, 16.5 billion. Can it grow from here? Yeah. And perform, the model that you've got. Yeah, so we, 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 try, we do try to limit our funds under management because I think too much money can spoil success and you do gravitate towards... Um, and you famously gave some money back a few years ago. Mm, so we gave a couple of million, 600 million back or 800 million back, whatever it was, in 2014 because we had too much money in our small cap fund. Yep. So we went, uh, we actually started with 200 million back in about uh, 2000. We built that 200 million up to 2.2 billion. And then in 14, we thought it was too, we were too big for the market. So we gave it back and, uh, and, and that was, and that's built back up to 2 billion and the performance um, over that long, over the 20 year period has been really strong. Um, so too much money can spoil it. But so my job is, and I do think you need to keep evolving as a business. If you don't evolve as a business, it's a bit like the Darwinian theory. If you don't evolve, then you end up dying. And mm. uh, so I've, I've set up a, a, 
a global small and mid-cap run out of Denver. I've just started up an emerging markets fund. The capacity on that particular fund is about $7 billion. They started in May two, 2019, so they started a year ago. They've had, they're, they're fantastic investors and um, they've had a, a really good performance to date. They're, Do they invest like you, stock by stock? Yeah, pretty much. They've just t- t- I've tried to get them to go and you know talk at the same conference. And, oh, just or any you know just go and speak at things. Oh no no can't just don't want to take any time away. So from, you've got to do that for, for them. For them, no. Well, in time they'll hopefully, but they're just so focused on. I can't drag them away from stock picking, which right. is exactly what you want. So they're running five hundred million dollars. Um, and that, that's got the potential to be $7 billion. Um, I will look at doing, hopefully, a global equity product if I can um, find find the right people. I've got some people in England I'm speaking to, and yeah. I, th- I think they'll, I think they're really good operators. Um, but, you know, it's, look, it's, it's a tough, at the moment, it's, it's, it's pretty tough because there is a lot of pressure on fees, yeah. and there's a pressure, um, not pressure to go meet, but just because of funds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and fees are going lower and lower and lower and uh, it forces mediocrity, I suppose, index-type mm-hmm. returns, passive returns, and there's massive money going towards passive and, of course, that feeds on the stocks that are at the top of the index and so you might get some stocks that you might not think are worth $40 billion, but they are worth $40 billion because people keep on buying them because they're in the index. And yeah. That's the problem with passive investing. Well, we'll come back to that one. Let, let's let's rewind now. Let's go back back to the scone days. Your dad was a doctor, mm-hmm. GP. Mm-hmm. Your mum was a, a teacher, but teacher. she was yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was the share market warrior. Yeah, yeah. She loved stocks. And going back to your childhood, were you happy to talk to her about it, or did that come later in life? No. Um I think so. I never really was focused in on stocks. I was always a bit of a bee in the bottle, as she calls me. Like a bee a, in the bottle? A bee in the bottle, buzzing around. Right. <laughs> and and uh, I'm still the same. <laughs> but uh, no, it wasn't. It, uh, I've always been, I've, you know, even I used to work at Pete Marwick and, and uh, when I was working there, I was doing, I was always looking at these bit, what kind of, how, how I could run a, get a business going in a particular sector. You know, I looked right. at plant hire, for example. I looked at all the, all the, um, equipment that all the different count, councils use. And they all use them only 20% of the time. And I started thinking, how could I do it such that you could share it amongst councils? But unfortunately, when it rains, they all need it at the same time. And anyway, like just little things like that. I looked at a, a com, you know, what computer share are doing. This is before computer share. I was looking at that. And I think, oh, it's possible for me to go out and do that, you know. So there's always that angle of me wanting to do stuff and I'm, I just love... love but did that entrepreneurialism or the thinking of it yeah. came from your mum or...? Um, certainly not my dad. Yeah, my dad's a pretty steady Eddie, Scottish and... Right. And, uh, yeah, well, from Scottish descent. No, I probably did. My, my, uh, and none of my brothers have really gone... One of them maybe have gone out and... T- Become a bit of an entrepreneur. So you, you stood out a bit. So then you went off to boarding school mm-hmm. um, and did a lot of things, voted most likely to succeed by your peers. You were good at school. 
Not really, no. <laughs> I was pretty ordinary. <laughs> I was about average. Yeah, I was average actually. Oh, and uh, average at school, or just just one of the one of the guys. No, no, no. Like I was a prefect, I was a house captain, and yeah. know, I was playing in the top te- top teams in sport and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, I always kind of had that philosophy of still the same thing of don't not doing doing the right thing, and you know, and so I never. But really did you work hard? Yeah, I'm. A, yeah, I work right. really hard, really right. hard. I work really hard. And if there are some other people that maybe like yourself or some smart people, if they'd worked the same as I would have done, they would have got 100%, right? Right. <laughs> but I probably got 70%. So, so what, what, I'm like an Alan Border. I work hard. Alan Border. Yeah, okay. you know, I work hard, but I'm not gifted. Yeah. So that, then you, you, you're, you're saying you're playing footy. I think you're a wing. You're quite yeah. quick. Yeah. And in your senior year, Alan Jones, mm-hmm. broadcaster, was your coach. Mm-hmm. He's also your English teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you learn anything from Alan about focus and yeah, absolutely. those kind of things? Absolutely. And did it stay with you? Yeah, it did. So he actually let he he was I think he left after my fourth uh, fourth year, whatever you call it nowadays, um, year ten. Year ten. But um, I was in the say the fifteen A's, and I remember one day I had to I was in the winger and I had to come off the shoulder of the um, of the five eight and. Alan was coaching us, um, and uh, I was not getting the angle right, and I wasn't getting the closeness right. And I think we would have done it had he had everybody else standing around in, in their positions, the scrum and the back line, there for probably 20 minutes, and I had probably had to do it, I don't know how many times, till I got it right. <laughs> he said, again, no, you're wrong angle. Do it again. You're not coming off the hip. Probably. And were you blowing up or you thought, okay, he knows what he's talking about? You know, I just got to keep going. I thought I was doing right, you know, but I t- t- turned the angle a bit and in the end I, I'm not sure whether I changed or not, but it was about, yeah, he's, he's bloody good. He's, he's, but what did you learn from that? No, just to, to, be, to be focused and continue to do it and, and I think uh, I probably <laughs> practice makes perfect, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's about putting in the work. Yeah. I think putting uh, in the work. And you wanted to be a vet, but you ended up studying commerce. Vet yes. was a bit out of your reach, yes. I gather. You went to uni, and I, I don't know, at some stage, Phil Matthews, the, one of the great investors, came. Was, was it at uni you met Phil? Was it a bit later? No, no, it would have been at uni. He was at Sydney, and I was at New South Wales, but, you know, a group of us used to all hang around together, and he was one of the guys. That... And, and w- w- in those early days, was Phil talking about the share market? Like, when did it start to come into your the vernacular? Psyche? Yeah. Um, I used actually when I was at uni, I started buying stocks, uh, Great Southern, uh, Southern, Southern Pacific. They right. were uh, some gas thing. Or what, I can't remember what it was. You know? And um, lost everybody else made money. I lost money on that. But that was yeah. I think it was my first year of uni, so I must have had an, inc- an interest and an inkling back back then to right. to, to do it. And but I I, uh, I was gardening. Used to garden for people. I used to like the effect of. If I work X hours, I get X paid X, right? right? As opposed to just getting paid a flat fee. I'm always... There's no leverage in working X hours. Yeah, and you can only do a certain amount with your hands, but I, I enjoyed making money. You know, I enjoyed the, you know, doing whatever it is to, to be able to... Um, yeah, the, and I think the same with the sandwiches in London, you know, more sandwiches are sold. <laughs> so you Hardy work. 
Good, more money, you, had, you had a few years there where I think you only hit funds management when you were about 33, 34. Mm-hmm. So there's a period there where you, you moved around a bit and you didn't find exactly, I mean, you went off, you were an accountant, you went off to London. I heard you grew a beard and you had long blonde hair and you sold sandwiches in London. You look like <laughs> one of the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think... Um, it took a while, didn't it? Yeah, but it, but it is interesting. So I, I think about where I, what I, how I evolved, I... I uh, was working as a stockbroker. Uh, went to London. I was working as account as an accountant, trying to get learn about financials and about how businesses operate. You know, because I I always just had this passion for how wondering how businesses run, and um, you know, I, I passed my professional year, all that kind of stuff. Just, but I I uh, but I was also good at gathering information and getting people around and 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 uh, kind of. You know, I'd have a team of six, and I was the of which we all studied together, and and you know, I had major. I had really a couple of smart guys. Phil Matthews was part of that group, was he? And uh, Charlie Green, who's a stockbroker, Tony Anderson, and and Phil, and another guy, Mike Sturziger, who was the smart guy amongst us, and he right. dragged us up, and you know, it was kind of all about. You got through get, getting the people. You used that structure for the rest of your career, <laughs> get delegating and get 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 the smart guys around you and collect the information. And collect the information, and um, but you know, I, I finished up. Uh, I lost my job in '87 in the '87 crash. Um, I was working for Hattersley Maxwell at the time, and uh, stockbroker as a stockbroker. Um, and actually, in some respects, that was a really good thing I did that because I probably would have just still been a stockbroker, meaning buying and selling shares, where it really wasn't my calling. My calling is you know, investment analysis and analysing businesses. And um, I went down to Ibis in Melbourne, which is like a strategy consultant, like a McKinsey's. And just to you used talk- to catch the overnight bus down, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I used to <laughs> leave at seven, seven. I'd catch the bus up. The Firefly bus, 30 bucks, 7 o'clock at night, and get here at 7 in the morning on Saturday, spend the weekend with the mates, mucking around, and then go back Sunday night. On the bus? On the bus. Straight to work? Straight to work. <laughs> and I did you can't it. do that forever. I did it. Yeah, well, that's probably my brain's so cooked at the moment. <laughs> but no, I did, that. I did that for quite a long, for a year, on and off, a number of times. But um, I went to Ibis because I'm always looking at learning more about businesses and industries and how businesses operate. And then I, I, after that, I went and worked for the state super board and the private equity. Same thing, tr- looking at investments and being responsible for investments. That's where you met Peter Cooper? Peter Cooper. Yeah, yeah I met Peter Cooper. And um, uh, and then I went and worked for I, uh, ING Group and I was running small caps and and, um, and doing private equity. Now, that was a great team, wasn't it? It was human headline, Greg Matthews. He was a great guy. Peter Mowat, your partner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, John Morgan, Ben yeah, Griffiths. Yeah, good gr- guys. Good guys. Yeah, good, yeah. good guys. But was there, I mean, that, that was a pretty heady field and you guys were well known back in the 90s as, as one of the gun investors, especially the small caps team. Mm-hmm. They had good numbers. Mm-hmm. But was there a moment there when you entered and there was an investment that you remember and you thought, game on, I can do this? There, there was a lightning bolt moment, like, or you, uh, or you just felt comfortable? or No, I felt comfortable. I, like, I remember buying... Masses of health scope, just standing in the market and buying it up because you know I kind of they had a problem hospital and they had a Mulberry Hospital and I was losing money and it was in 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 the valuation on the stock and I remember like working out that I felt that they could turn that around and um, were you scared you'd get it wrong? Not that investment, just in general. 
Yeah, so Peter Martin, I used to look at it differently. Peter Martin would think that he, he used to love, and I love the way he thinks, is, is that he used to think he'd try and buy all these stocks that are just totally bombed out, really contrary investor. And and by by buying, it doesn't happen so much nowadays, but by buying contrary investing, it's like buying in, in March of this year. If you hadn't bought anything in the index, to just generally like the technology stocks, whether it's overseas or whether it's realestate.com here or whatever, or Fizzilla or whatever it is, you would have done well, right? Mm. But that was kind of contrarian because the market had been built. And the same with stocks. Buying stocks that no one loves is not a bad way to, to make money. But Peter used to buy any – he and I differed in that I'd wait for news to come out, right? So Mobbery was doing badly. You know, There's the hospital in yeah, Hellscape. Yeah, in Hellscape. Numbers are bad or – yeah, he he he. You know, he'd go and buy it. Reef. So whereas I'd wait for a while. Now Reef Casino, for example, which is up in Cairns, up in Cairns, and I think it was just structurally there was just it was structurally challenged where it was located, and the amount of capital had gone into it, and the amount of valuation of the business. So I just thought there was a structural issue, but it had been bombed out and belted, and Peter liked that stock. You know, I didn't like it, and there have been situations where. I've missed it because I've been waiting, mm. whereas Peter would have. So we were a really good combination together, and we did deli- we delivered amazing returns over that yeah. six year period. And I so, think. what made you think that was a pretty crowded field at, mm-hmm. at Murky Muts? Like a lot of names, good operators. What? Why did you think you could pull yourself out of the pack and grow? Well, because of all the people there, you've grown the big business. I mean, Ben's mm. done incredibly well, mm. and he was the dealer mm. in those days. Mm. He was the younger. But you're, you've, you've streaked the field. Generally. I mean, I mean, there's just different situations. So, like, I remember being um, over at Ross Rottnest with um, Euros, you know, and they had the, the, con- the conference, conference over there. Yeah. And Linter came up. And Linter was a, a gas a gas business. And because I love just businesses and operating out of the way. And uh, everybody else, I was about, like, there might have been 40 people listening to some gold specky stock or whatever it is. Everybody else left. When Linda came on, and Linda came on, never else left, and I was I was in there with about three or four other guys, right, and they would have been kind of infrastructure blokes, right? Who, and so it was one of those stocks that kind of fell through the, the and it was massive, massive return for us. You know, I kind of thought, and it was the same with TAB Queensland. So TAB Queensland, everybody saw it as a mature business. Then they went and bought uh, South Australian TAB and put the revenue onto the front. And they always thought, a lot of people thought it was a bit cyclical because of the weather, prone to, not cyclical, but prone to the weather. Yeah. And so there's a bit of uncertainty there. So I valued it not a great deal, but they, I, I kind of worked out, well, hang on, you know, they're going to diversify the revenue base. They're going to make consistent revenue. They're, they're putting revenue, taking all the cost out. They're going to get growth there. But more importantly than anything, I could see the consistency of earnings and that they were paying a lot of their earnings out. And I thought in time, they're going to see this maybe as a, people will see this as a bond because it is paying a lot and mm. it's consistent, has a diversified earnings base and it's quite, yeah. And so I, I ended up, I think we made, bought it, I don't know, for a dollar and sold it at $14 or something over yeah. a short period of time because what happened was other people started seeing it that the thing was yielding 12% or something or other yep. and they thought, well, hang on, this is so reliable. I put my money in the bank. I can get 5% only. I can get... 5% on this, plus I'm getting revenue growth and earnings growth, you know, and so you get 
that, that's the big thing about that is to try and get multiple expansion and earnings growth. And if you get that combination, which you do in smalls, you get massive leverage on your on your. So multiple expansion. Yeah, so with above average earnings growth. Yes, the combinations creates massive wins. massive value when they go from when someone sees a sheet of what they think is not a great business and it's trading at six times, but then over time you'll get the earnings sorted out, get consistency of earnings, growth in earnings, and a lot of that gets paid out in dividends, you get growth in dividends. Yep. Growth in dividends is a big driver, and it goes from six to 18 times, that's three times, plus you're getting 25% growth. Massive earner. Winner, it's yeah. Easy. <laughs> so not. what about when you start a paradise and you're under that pressure to, because you start your own business, you don't want your third year to be your best year, because you might get to your third year. Correct, no, it was so horrible. So first couple of years, it's tough, right? So. I know, I know you, you tell the story about the rain yeah. and you're running around, but yeah. do you remember an investment? I remember Corporate Express was a great one you had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a good we one. We used to go and know. see Ted Nark, yep, that the American was, who that, came in to run it. There was, was, there was Metcash, which we've already mentioned. Yep, yep, yep. Do you remember one that stood out and, and it, the combination just talked about? It nailed that expansion in earnings. Yeah, so with actually a, Corporate Express, I'd forgotten about Corporate Express, but that, that's a that's a really good example because that was a stock which was um, it's a high it's a you know wholesale in, um, you know they're selling pens and papers and all that kind of stuff to the office space to the office space and you think oh, it's a crap business <laughs> and it is a great isn't a great business and they'd merged a whole lot of things together but um, well, it high was, revenue it was a disaster at one stage yeah it was and a high and a high so it was a it was low margin you know like retailing is low margin type businesses, meaning EBIT to sales. And I looked at and, and Ted was going to do various things and, and I thought, yeah, he can get that margin up. So if on on 2% of sales, if you can get your margin from two to five, you've increased by your profits by 250%, you know. Mm. And, and so we, um, you know, we looked at that and we looked at the cash generation and the debt reduction and, and um, that was one of the, that was probably, yeah, that was, that would have been a, a defining moment in those, those first couple of years. Yeah, so that, that was a cracker. And you talk about different investments. You're going to be an investor. Do you have to have a certain temperament? Because sometimes it doesn't work, right? Sometimes you sit there and there's losses. And everyone has a different way of dealing with losses. Do you feel sick when you, you lose big, something goes wrong? Yeah, no. It's, do you it's feel, to me. do you feel, jubilant when things go well or do you, do you find that you've got to be down the centre? How, how do you feel you go there? Because that's what um, wears you out in the end, isn't it? It's the emotion that takes you on. Yeah, the stress. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I, I think it is interesting. The, the further you go up in the market cap level, the more, uh, you know, you, you're a different kind of investor. The bigger guys yep. are investing in BHP, you know, they're looking at... They're looking at um, in uh, a GDP growth and all that kind of stuff, right? And the volatility in the share price is not much, is not much <laughs> right? Whereas down the bottom, <laughs> it can be very volatile. You can lose fifty percent of your value of a company, which is why you have a diversified portfolio. But uh, you can have um, massive um, volatility, and that and that kind of volatility um, and the ability to pick stocks and do well has, is a different mindset. Than something that's just picking GDP growth, you know. So, yeah. So, 
that kind but of you, person. But you would is, have plenty of stocks that fell out of bed. Oh yeah, and and you have to be able to stand on the and categorically sell the bad ones. And so you know you don't Get have it a bit, wrong. You, sell it. Yeah, you don't have a bit of roses like they say. You don't have all. You take out the bad roses of the bed. And I and I and I actually have changed. I've not changed, but I've tried to avoid in all our mandates when we're managing money for people, restrictions on on um, turnover. Because if you make a bad decision, and, I, and so many people fall into this trap of buying a stock one day, and then even if it's the next day, you see something you don't like in it, and you think it's wrong, and you, I say, oh, definitely sell it. Definitely sell the stock. And uh, if you don't like it, but don't worry about it. If you, that's fine. That's Great that you made that decision, mm. right? But so many people are worried about what their peers think about right. buying, right. about selling it straight away. Don't don't want to admit they made a mistake, right? But it's so, so have confidence in yourself to say, well, that didn't, that, that didn't wasn't work. quite yeah. what I thought I was and, getting and into. And have a culture around culture in a place that like allows that that allows that. Yeah, that okay. allows you to pick bad stocks. That allows you to take risk within reason, but to 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 do risk management as well, which is selling a bad position. Yeah, okay. All right. Let's let's come back to today in the market rather than paradise. So when you when you're at Murky Mutts back in the nineties, it was all about GARP. Growth at a reasonable price. Yeah. And you guys nailed that. Um but does thirty years on or whatever it is, thirty five years on, does GARP work anymore? Is it applicable? Or is the world Turned too much for GARP to be. Well, it's a hard one because interest rates at that point in time were, were a lot higher, and it has an effect on yep. the growth kind of stocks on your the the values that you would put into a dividend discount cash flow model. You know, lower in, lower discount rates, yeah, higher sure. valuation, that kind of stuff. So, whereas GARP, which is growth at a reasonable price, is it's probably you're trying to buy companies that are going to consistently grow, but there is this massive structural change, especially recently with the COVID stuff, where um, you know, ten years ago, I think six percent of sales were on uh, in uh, e, uh, were on the e-commerce mm. platform, and over ten years it went from six to sixteen, mm. and just beginning of April, and then for two months it's gone from 16 to 27. So okay. what's taken 10 years was done in two months. So there's been this bought forward thing. Mm. But a lot of those businesses, and in Australia, where and it happened in 2000, where people seem to forget that they just go and buy a stock at any price, and you go and buy open telecommunications because they've got this beautiful dream. <laughs> <laughs> and they end up going broke. And that will happen, I think, here, in that there are a number of companies that are getting funded that probably should not be funded. And they're getting funded because they say, well, we do what the Amazon does, and therefore our valuation should be what, it, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's a world stage nowadays where the barriers to entry are a lot lower and technology has reduced moats, you know. And well, it's winner takes all. Yeah, and so the first the first move advantage, and like Seek and you know realestate.com and all that kind of stuff have done well in America. You've seen Amazon yeah. and Microsoft and all those, you know the cloud. A lot of those cloud people have done done really well, and they're trading at high valuations. But you know, as we know, the big 
Fang stocks have contributed to a lot of the performance. And down in the little end, there are a lot of companies that valuations are benefiting from the yep. big guys. Um, but you have to be conscious of the price you pay. Just can't pay. You know, it's not momentum. It's you know, there is a lot of pass the pass. So, so we had a technology boom, like we did in two thousand, but it's been built on greater foundation. I would have thought. Yeah. So does two thousand repeat? Where you know we all get that chance if you're a, a value investor, where technology does fall over and there's a lot of things left behind, or you think those days are gone because of the the macro environment and rates so low? Yeah, I think uh, there's so much debt around the world yep. nowadays, and uh, I can't. I thought it was in America. It was something like fifty-four dollars or seventy seventy-two million trillion dollars of debt. Now, if rates go up by one percent, it's seven hundred and twenty million dollars, billion dollars, billion, yeah, and that's three percent of GDP in America, right? So, if you if you, um, it's quite significant the debt out there, and that has an effect that it not only allows you to borrow money cheaply and buy houses and buy stocks or whatever it is, it just pushes your valuation. So, I think you'll find. I mean, I don't know, but I think the your, uh, um, economies will move ahead. You'll get these deep value situations which have been totally undersold and rates at the moment are like zero to minus. If these companies can still generate cash and still generate yields of 5 or 6%, there will be interest in those particular stocks, especially when the economy starts picking up. But in time, I mean, the economy will pick up and maybe, you know, <laughs> interest rates are so low at, at at 50 basis points and there's so much debt around the world that, you know, monetary policy will work by jacking up interest rates a tiny bit so they can use it yeah. as a, as a, as a uh, measure to, to bring back growth. But I, so I think that there's, there's a lot of the technology stocks will keep going. I'm not sure you'll, you'll get volatility, but you're not going to get companies that are just, you know, the technology companies are here to stay. Yeah, and, it's a different and, era. And it's a different era. And there's going to be things like like airlines, for example, benefited because of, you know, you get your ticket on your phone, you don't need people. Yeah, sure. You know, like there are going to be a number of industries that win that. Win that. But the technology itself, a lot of the technology around has low barriers to entry. So it's kind of trying to find also those companies that are, you know, the stock exchanges were massive beneficiaries, mm. you know, and I think Caledonia picked that up where the, Get rid of all the costs. Put them on computers. Get rid of all the chalkies. You know, yep. and there's a mass, there well, are massive beneficiaries. The, the, these winner-take-all businesses. Let's go to the investment world. You've touched on it already. The most businesses scale has worked around the world in the last 15, 20 years. If yeah. you, you can get the right cost model, the right technology, you win because you get scale. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that in our game in the investment markets: ETFs, um, index funds, low cost, big scale. Does that mean the business of active investing will eventually die? I mean, it's it's been it's been pounded a lot over the last ten years. Yeah, yeah. I know it's your uh, business, but do, uh, do you fear no, no, for no, it? No, look, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a it's a massive challenge. The massive funds will have to, in turn, go to passive investing because they just do end up turning big, or they go overseas, or whatever it is. And um, no, it's a it's a Especially, 
it's a big it's a big thing, especially that active management has underperformed passive, and that's probably because you've got these index funds like the Vanguards, where there's just a massive amount of money going into it, and um, interest rates are so low, so the money keeps on flying in, and the fees are quite low on those particular funds, and so you end up getting all the money going into the same particular stocks, and um, so we're grandkids might be standing around talking to you one day and say, I can't believe people paid you to actively manage Possibly, possibly. Because Robert Maple Brown said to us, he said his parents, when he started in the 1970s, Mm. couldn't believe anyone would pay him to manage money. Right, is that right? It might go the full circle, yeah. It might, and I... And And what about fees? Yeah, they continue to go down as the guys get... Because when you won your Hall of Fame award, Mm -hmm. you stood up in front of a full room of active fund managers... And said, we've got to try and protect our fees. Do you think that game's lost? You've got to meet the market? Yeah, I think you have to meet the market. Um, but, you know, the only reason, it's the same with any, any, any business or any product. You know, you've got to deliver good results and justify why people should pay fees. So I'm totally in agreement with all the industry funds that, you know, if, you have, if, you're, in the, if you're only producing... I mean, you have to take a long-term view because there's always going to be periods of under and out performance, right? And you want to be able to invest with people that are going to protect down, have downside protection. And so, you know, um, you, you will go through periods of underperformance, but over the long term, you want to make sure you outperform. And I do think good fund managers, touch wood, will survive. Will survive. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned a young guy came and saw you in our discussion a bit earlier. Can a young guy do what you've done 20 years on? I mean, you weren't that young. You were 40 when you opened the doors yeah. of paradise. But a young guy, 35, a young girl, 35, decides I want to be an active fund manager. Can they build a global business? It's funny. I, I had it. I saw John, John Kinghorn the other day. Yeah. And I said the same thing. I said it's tougher, you know, it's really tough nowadays because we're talking to someone next, uh, a person who was next to me who was chairman of Tesla in Australia. And, um, you know, very quick, sharp, cross all the issues, everything, right? And I said, Jesus, it's tough. And he, said, <laughs> and he said, no, he said, and it's right, it all depends on drive and, 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 and being a rational thinker and, and focus. You know, and you, you'll find a way. You'll find a way to do it. It might be a different. It might be a different than a guy investing straight in equities or whatever it is. I don't know. You know, it might be different, but might be different to going to Melbourne it, to see it, eight it, companies it, cutting out lunch. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's about focus and drive. Yeah, yeah and and I think you, if you become you, you you're competing against AI, which is massive, and um, but I, I, I'm hoping that in time. Um, the uh, human touch yeah. can can outdo that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we all hope for that. Yeah. So it's been great to talk to you, David, but I've just got one more thing, and I know you're a Willie Nelson fan, <laughs> being a country lad. Country western, yeah. And this year, Willie, um, at 86 years of age, which gives you a bit of inspiration as you head into the twilight of your career, wrote a new song called Our Song. And the opening lines of that song are, in this time that I have been given to fill my life with living, I hope I've done the best that I can do. Do you feel at this point in your life you've done the best you can do? 
there are a number or is of things. There's still I, a lot ahead of you. There, there's a number of things I could have done better. Um, I look at people like, and so this is two two things actually. Um, I love you know I love picking stocks. I love running a business, and I I love the cut and thrust and the challenges that face it. Um, um, and that that's I can still think there's still a lot left in me. I look at people like Rupert Murdoch and. I, you know, look at what drives him and, you know. So global domination. No, no, not like Maybe that. Maybe more Dr. No, Evil than Austin Powers. No, it's Powell, not that. It? It's about, but I do, it's like what John Kinghorn was saying, you know, like Jerry's, Jerry's still engaged. You know? Jerry Harvey. And, yeah, and you've yeah. got to keep, that's why I keep evolving the business because I think that's what drives me and that's what drives everybody else. You need to keep on evolving. And it's, it's you know. Good for your health? Because um, you haven't looked this good for years. <laughs> Prop. Probably you need the balance of, and that's why I play polo. And I, you know, and you need a passion and need stuff outside, and and that does it. But I do, I do. Um, is there any downside to the work ethic that you? Does it affect family, health, or anything? Oh, I think, I think, yeah, I, th- I think there's a certain amount of that, but but that's the personality I am. You know, I'm like a bean in a bottle, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, uh, yeah, there is, there is, there is, you know effects on on the personal life but i i haven't missed a school holiday i haven't missed a school concert i haven't missed a school sporting event ever and so i always make sure that i'm i'm at a lot of the children stuff i've never missed yeah never it's it's important yeah it's really important for me you know I'll, I'll take the afternoon off and go and do it and i encourage people at my office to make sure that that side of so there is a balance there well there is and and i and i'm and in fact if I see an email, if, I, if I'm in the office and there's guys there past six thirty, I said, you know, what's what's happening? What's the problem? Yeah, young guys, you know. Or if, um, you know, if if uh, yeah, if I get an email at like that young guy was telling you about, um, I got an email at two twelve thirty at night, one o'clock at night. I got an email from him. This is the young guy I was talking interview, and. Uh, I started thinking, oh, I'm not going to go because he's been out for dinner and stuff like that, and li- mis- li- listening to him. He's on it the whole time. You You're know? around the clock. And that's You ran out of pump. It's it's about people it's about people that are passionate about it. Like all my blokes are passionate about it. I can text them any any day of the week, any time, Sunday night, whatever it is, or with ask them a question and they'll come back. Because they're pa- you know, sure in between you might do the gardening, play polo, whatever it is, but yeah, you're passionate you're about it. You're always on. Yeah, yeah, you're always on. It's just one of those jobs you can't you can't not be. Well good luck. To Thanks, your mate. journey to 86. <laughs> Great to talk to you. Thanks, Perry. Thanks. It's tough at the top, but some people just love climbing the mountain and trying to stay there for as long as possible. Even for me, a person who has known the guest for many years, I still haven't quite worked out why they've been able to pull off the remarkable. Each time I talk to them, though, I learn a little more, and today was no exception. If you like today's episode, subscribe through Apple or Spotify. Or if you're a live wire reader, give this wire a like.